0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. My name is Aaron Wood. I'm the host of Dirt Talk, and today we have a pretty cool guest. His name's Don Collier. He works for a demolition company in Chicago, uh, Milburn Demolition, and he's now leading you know all the operations for the entire company. It's still a new company; they're growing like crazy. So I'm really excited to talk to Don today. So how you doing, Don?
1: Good, Aaron. Good, great, man. Thanks for having me. That's, yeah, I really appreciate you asking.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've talked a lot and I think your story is just fascinating and it's a completely different perspective than someone who went to college and, you know, started a company from scratch. You've kind of came in just after James got started and you didn't go to college. So it's a whole different, whole different ball game. So I really want to get into that. So can you tell everyone what age you started out in the demolition industry?
2: Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was 17. Uh, when I started in the demo industry, I was fortunate enough at that time to, uh, be friends with uh, the son of a owner of a large demolition company in Chicago. And uh, I was just doing, uh, I was actually uh, running a detail shop at the time. <laughs> and uh, my, at that point in time, girlfriend, now to be wife, got pregnant. And so I basically said, well, we said we're gonna get married. And I said, I need a job, I need a better job. So I reached out to a friend of mine and uh, and got me into that company. At a, ironically, at a very reduced rate because I was a skinny seventeen-year-old that didn't know shit about the
0: industry. Yep,
1: and that's how I got in.
0: When you start out as a seventeen-year-old, what what kind of work are you doing?
1: Just general labor. You're pretty much. I mean, obviously, you're the grunt at that point, right? You're just cleaning debris. You're doing what anybody asks of you, following their lead. Just minimal stuff: shoveling, wheelbarrows. You know, at that time, I mean, we didn't even have the technology that we have now, right? And so it was just. Just literally, just grunt work, cleaning up everybody else's mess that they that when they demolish things, right? So you're just the grunt.
0: Did you enjoy it?
1: You know what? I did actually. I've always enjoyed working hard. Uh, I don't know if that's a weird thing or not, but but it's just when I put my mind to something, it goes, and I did take a liking to it. Luckily, right away, and just took off from there. I mean, I just. You know, bottom line is I just, work, I just tried to work harder than everybody else and take little bits of pieces of and knowledge and tricks of the trade, if you want to call it that, from everybody around me and just kind of took off. And yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's dirty. It's nasty. I mean, at that time, pretty damn unsafe as well back in, the, in those days. And, you know, I just took off but I loved it. I mean, I loved it from the get
0: go. What about demolition did you fall in love with? I mean, why, why have you stayed in the industry for so long?
1: It's different. Right? It's not your norm. I mean, obviously, it's not an office, but even with construction and, you know, whether you be mechanical or you're in mining or you're in excavating, I mean, yes, everything changes a little bit with that on a daily basis. But with demolition, it's just, it's totally different. Every day, every minute of every day is different than the other, right? There's always a different site, there's always a different type of building. You know, you're not, there's so many different types of construction, right, in, in this world. And so every day is a new day and it's just a new challenge. Uh, That's the way I looked at it. That just intrigued me that, you know, my mind just went crazy because I saw the potential and I I just enjoyed it because it's just fun. You get to knock shit down. Yeah. Why isn't that fun? Why wouldn't that be fun to anybody?
0: It brings out the little kid inside of you, that's for sure. You started when you were 17, someone out of necessity. Was college ever in the discussion at all? And and did this just make up your mind like, no college for me, or how did that work?
1: When I was in high school, I took, I took extra classes rather than just sitting back and, you know, taking two study halls and, you know, two gym classes or whatever, right? I actually, trust me, I still don't consider myself all that smart, but I was at least smart enough back then to take more classes at the get-go, so I graduated six months early, right? So okay. like six months through my senior year, I graduated, which was right at this time when I started, and, you know, college... It was talked about a little bit in my family, but not a whole lot. And I just, it wasn't me, you know, and I knew it, that I didn't think I would ever succeed with that. I had no clue what I was going to do at that time, but I knew that just at that point, that just college isn't isn't me. I wasn't cut out for it.
0: Why was that? Why do you think that was? I just,
1: it didn't excite me, right? I mean, you have to, anything in life, you have to do what you love. Yeah. Right. Any profession, you have to love it. And I didn't have any, you know, at that point in time, I didn't know where I was going to go, what I wanted to do. And honestly, it was probably just because of the, you know, what happened, the instance at that time with, you know, my then, you know, my current at that time, girlfriend getting pregnant, that just, it that right there sparked something in me and just said, all right, it's time to, time to step up. You know, we're going to have a family, we're going to get married, we're going to do this. So let's let's go. And, uh, that's what did it to me. That that was kind of the driving force. Although I always had that work ethic drive, I just, that was something that kind of just projected it over the end to get the engine started, you know? And, uh, and I just took off from there.
0: Did having a kid at 17, did that scare the shit out of you?
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know anything, you know? I mean, luckily, I have the best wife in the world, but, you know, luckily, she knew more than I. But, yeah, she was 16. Oh, shit. Yeah. We were married. We had to, you know, had our parents' signatures on our on our marriage papers and all that, right? So I mean, yeah, I was scared shitless. I didn't know anything. I mean, totally off topic, but yeah, the first diaper I've ever changed was was my son at that time, and and it, and it wasn't a number one. It was a number. Well, it was sorry, it was a number one. And when I took the diaper off, it became number two and shot right in my face. <laughs> so that's a seventeen-year-old going, oh my god, what did I get into? You know, but but yeah, it, it totally scared me. It totally scared me but then initially, right? And then I I would say probably after the first year, it's, it was this is it's not that bad, you know? I mean, just man up, do it, run with it, enjoy it, and everything will fall into place, you know?
0: Yeah. What kind of hours are you working when you first started out? What are the hours that you, you were doing to support the family?
1: Yeah, any and all, right? I mean, uh, you know, in this local demo industry and with that particular company at that moment, it was mainly interior jobs, meaning not typically, at least I wasn't on them at that point, but typically the full total building demos and industry and all that, it was more just like office buildings, you know, stores, uh, department stores, things like that. So what you do is you work at night typically because, mm-hmm. you know, the people are in there during the day. So, but there were nights where, you know, I would work a night, then I'd work a day and then, you know, and I took it all, right? I mean, you can't be, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? I mean, you have to just take what you can get. And so... If it meant working day and night, I, I'm in. You know, if it meant working the weekend, uh, I'm in. I, you know, you need to provide for your family, so you just do whatever it takes. So yeah, it was, you know, at a bare bare minimum, it was eight hours a day for sure, and you know, anywhere up to, you know, who knows? Sometimes it was 12, 16 hours. Man, so,
0: okay, so now you're a laborer. How do you eventually start growing beyond a laborer? I mean, how does that how does that process even happen?
1: Yeah, one of the things that kicked it off was one particular project at the time. I was already at that point, you know, probably if I had to guess, you know, I'm six, eight months in, you know, finally starting to figure things out a little bit, a very little bit. And I'm on a project where it's a department store at night. And actually the foreman that I was working for at the time uh, liked to sleep a lot. So, you know, he was either outside in, in his vehicle sleeping and, and I had to kind of just take over by just necessity. And the general contractor ended up liking me and ended up kicking that foreman off the job, called the owner and said, we like this kid. He knows what he's doing. And I ran the rest of the job, which, you know, went for, you know, a couple months on and off. And then I just, you know, it just uh, like a sponge, you know, for info, if there's any advice I can give to anybody or anybody at that age is just be a sponge and just work harder. And that's all I did really is just, soak up every little bit of info I could get and and learn the tricks of the trade. And and then just, I don't like the term fake it till you make it, but that's a little bit about what it was. I had some sort of knowledge, but I was definitely faking some just to, you know, (laughs) portray to others that I knew what I was doing when you're 17, 18 years old, starting to run crews, you know, so.
0: Everyone you're talking to managing is pretty substantially older than you, right?
1: Yeah, it would range anywhere from, there might have been a couple in their upper twenties to, you know, there was guys that were in their upper fifties, even 60. That was tough. That was very, very tough to gain the respect. Plus because I would I was almost behind the eight ball even worse because more specifically in the demolition industry and in this area, it's 98 to 99% Hispanic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm a 17 year old white kid that knows the owner's son. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, Sometimes people would say, "Oh, that's great! You know, you 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 know the owner's son, and and we're going to take care of you and we're going to coddle you." It's the exact opposite. Uh huh. The 100% the exact opposite. They had to, had to work harder and had to prove to these these older guys that are more seasoned, more experienced that I, that I had the managerial skills to do it, and and that I worked hard, but I still respected them. It's a fine dance that you have to play. Very very tricky to. Uh, to get into the clique, if you want to call it that, and, and, and get the respect from these, the elders that you at least have the head on your shoulders to progress to be better.
2: Did you
0: have any experiences or, you know, did your parents teach you anything when you were growing up to help you step into a managerial role when you're 18 years old? Or did you really just have to make it up and see what everyone else is doing?
1: Mm, I would... uh a little bit, um, a little bit of work ethic I was taught, but no, not really the managerial experience or any of that. I am literally the only one in that I know of my entire family, even long-reaching family, that's in the construction industry as a whole.
2: Wow,
1: not really sure where I got it. It's just a little bit of outside-the-box mentality, and this is my forte. And I had a little bit of uh, you know work ethic taught to me, but. Other than that, no, it's just kind of like it's an internal drive, you know? It's just an internal drive to just be better as a whole.
0: When you were young, still learning out, did you screw things up?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, all the time. Every, uh, and I've always said, I mean, the absolute best way of learning is by mistakes, right? And the bigger they are, the the, the more you learn. Yeah. And yes, I learned a lot. I mean, I had a lot, luckily, no major, you know, injuries or anything like that on my watch but uh you know I, I learned so much you know dropping chunks of the building the wrong way having stuff land on trains fires i mean i could just uh, you know could rattle on and on and on but i've taken that and you learn from it right and then what i do now is i i, I let everybody know about all those fuck-ups and i you know i tell all my foremen, all the laborers all the operators everything is like look i've done this this is what happened that time so we want to do it like that
2: yeah right? and
1: Hopefully, they can take a little bit of screw ups and, and not have them with us and learn from my mistakes. But yeah, I had so many. Uh, it's just ridiculous.
0: Well, I guess in demolition, too, when things go wrong, they go really wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all about pre planning. Uh-huh. You know, it's all about pre planning, but then being prepared to adapt, right? I mean, it's not construction. So it's not a blank slate and then you install items little by little you're taking them down and you don't really know what's behind something. The drawings can say one thing, right? But you, you don't know. I mean, you know, who, who gets permits and, and all that kind of stuff. There can be wacky building structures that nobody had an idea about, but yeah, it's all about pre-planning investigative measures to, to, to figure out what you're up against, you know, but yeah, you have to be ready for that, uh, that what if, and that, holy shit this is happening and, and know how to handle it in that, in that circumstance.
0: So how do you go from, you know, you're, you're in the field every day, you're, you're running a crew, managing people, you know, just this scrawny 18, 20 year old, how, how do you, at what point do you make it up to, you know, higher management, actually managing more than just one crew and, and going beyond just one single project?
1: Yeah. Right. So somewhere in my twenties, I, I, I think it's mid, mid twenties or so. Uh, I, I don't know, it was, or, but the beginning twenties, I just, like I said, I've always had that drive, and, and I try and instill that in others. It's just that like "sky's the limit" mentality, and, and it's not good enough. Sometimes it's to a fault, but uh, most of the time it's for the better. I mean, it's it's. You know, I've always had that mentality. Just sky's the limit. Let's let's go. This isn't good enough. I want more. Not only for myself, right, for my family, for my peers around me. I just always wanted more, and that that opportunity arose, and 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 um, you know. Unfortunately, at that time, I mean, for some, i mean they they promoted me um after me just attacking and attacking and constantly contacting the owners and just going, "I want more. What's next? What's next? Give me more you know to where they they wanted to flee me away like a fly. but uh, you know, they promoted me, and then there was two superintendents, two general superintendents at that time at at the company. um you know, there was i don't know one hundred and fifty plus people working there, and uh and I just kind of took off a lot of the estimators and things like that would come to me more. And just, you know, I kept that learning process going and just had that kind of internal management skill, I guess you could say. I mean, and just, I love it. I love managing people. I love helping. I love training. I love, you know, just tricks of the trade. And and like, again, just telling, showing all the mistakes that i would made and just, you know, making everybody better. And, and that's what ended up happening. Right. I mean, just, just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, then I'm imagining managing, you know, I don't know what it was at the time. I don't know, maybe 15, 20 different foremen at that time and and that many projects as well. So,
0: but a lot of people say you just have to work your ass off, but you had to work your ass off and then also ask for the opportunity and ask for the opportunity, right? They didn't just hand it to you like, Hey, you know, here you go. Here's a great opportunity.
1: It's not going to come. It's not going to come. If you don't ask, it's not going to come. If you don't show the drive, right. If you don't show the work ethic, show that you want it, it's not going to come, right? I mean, unfortunately, you know, you have to show it. You have to have, I mean, if there's nothing else to, to learn, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, from what I've done in, in in my time is just the drive and the work ethic. You have to want it. You can't just sit back on your ass. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, you have to be a bit of a gnat, know when the time's right to kick back and not keep attacking. But you have to ask. You have to want it. And you have to show, you know, you have to show that you're worth it. Right. And sometimes not about, hey, it's what I did. It's, hey, this is what I can do for you. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to be. Right. To, to show a company owner or manager or whatever it may be. You have to show them that you want it and you have to show them why you want it and that it's not just, you know, individual and personal that you want to better the company as a whole. And I think that's what ended up getting me through, you know, and then it's, then it's just a matter of, just you know, showing it when you're in that role. Right. I mean, showing that you mean business.
0: I kind of had a thought here. Can we go back to, you know, you're working with all Hispanic people. How is working with a different culture? I mean, how have have you had to approach that? Because I, I mean, I started out in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, so on a pipe crew, and I was the only white kid out there. Everyone else was Hispanic. So it was a really, really interesting dynamic. I had never really been in that world before. So completely new to me, a lot of fun. I, I loved it. How have you and I guess continue to approach, you know, there is that, that different culture that you're working with. How do you approach that?
1: Hmm. That's a good and tricky question. Different ethnicities have their own way of doing things and their own way of handling each other and handling others, right? Good, yeah. bad, and different, it doesn't really matter, but they, they have a different way of handling it, right? So you have to, if you're the minority, which in this industry we are, and you have to respect their morals and their ethnic tendencies and things like that. But then you just have to kind of show them that you, again, show them that you mean business. I mean, I don't want to say, I do not want to sound at all like I'm putting Hispanic people in a different thing, but in a different light, but uh, their work ethic, at least the majority from what I've dealt with, is just amazing. You know, it's kind of that, right. It's that undiscussed, Thing that that people are afraid to talk about, but you know what? I mean, I mean, everybody that I've ever dealt with, that Hispanic has that work and girls that work with it work their ass off. I mean, they work so hard. So that was one thing that pushed me, you know, to work harder because I went, man, I can barely keep up with these guys. And then ultimately, I, I would say, no, I'm going to beat them. I'm going to work harder than them and show them. And then that gives you that respect without saying anything. Yep. But yeah, the to answer kind of to answer your initial comment is. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting at your lunchtime or whatever and, and just by yourself, right? Yeah, Not talking to anybody because they're all speaking Spanish or whatever the case is. And you have to figure out the right way to get into the click, as I will call it sometimes. And once you do that and just joke around, I mean, everybody's just genuine people when you're honest, is what I've come to realize, you know? And, and that's all I did. I just just treated it I don't I don't know what the right way of doing it is but I just was totally blatantly honest asked a lot of questions joked around all the time and it just worked you know you just it's no different than the white guy the black guy next year or anything it's it's no difference I mean it doesn't really matter what your ethnicity is you yeah. just have to learn how to handle it in a different light and just roll with it and have fun with it
0: yeah i'd have to I perfectly agree with that. I mean, that based on my own experience, it it was the, it was the exact same thing. You just watch these guys and you're like, how the hell do they work this hard? And they're 15, 20 years older than I am. And they've been doing this their whole life. And then you're sitting there, you're like, well, shit, I'm the 18 year old. I got to go outwork these guys. And then in doing that and just keeping your head down, they watch and see, and then they respect you and they start giving you shit. And then they're like, "Oh, well, okay, they're giving each other shit, so I want to give them shit." <laughs> and then you start joking <laughs> with them and then you're part of the family.
1: Exactly. You said it better than I, Aaron. Well yeah. done. That, well, that's what I meant to say. Yeah.
0: I like talking about that kind of stuff though cuz it's reality in this industry. Uh so we're
1: I can't tell you how many, you know, pushing a wheelbarrow up a ramp and I'd fall on my ass and all that, right? I mean, that that happened so many times. They're laughing and but then I get right back up and do it and go, well, what's your trick? We'll do this. Okay. I did it and then show them. And then we laugh about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then learn all the bad words too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All
0: right. So where, at what point, so you're, you know, you're managing a bunch of crews, this and that life's good. At what point do you find Milburn and where do you, where do you find James at and then why do you make the switch to, to Milburn?
1: Sure. Sure. So ironically I'm with this, large demo contractor, right, for whatever it is. I think it's like 18 years or so. And uh, and James uh, was going to Purdue University for construction management, and Purdue is the only university currently that I still believe they have a demolition program. So he was in that. He took off. He did a little traveling after that. But during his tenure there, he interned at the company I was at, right, And but we didn't know it. So that's just an ironic thing. He was there for like six months. We were both there. We didn't know each other. We didn't even know that that was happening. And then uh, I had left that company and went on to another one, a smaller, more more intricate, more robotic demolition company that I was managing. And uh thought it was going to grow a lot quicker than it did. And, you know, sky's the limit. And it, it didn't end up happening. But that company was a subcontractor all the time of another demolition company that James joined up with. And he was a project manager, estimator project manager. So we got together because that company didn't do structural demo and things like that. Right. So we, his company would hire my company and we ended up just meeting and just really, I think we both knew we just kind of, we're both very good in our own different ways. And so he, I kind of like confided in him a bit and I was looking to leave because it just wasn't what was going on with my career. Just wasn't sky's the limit, right? I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, I was going to take job, you know, with a large, large uh, national company and do a lot of traveling and things like that and make a bunch of money. And, and I didn't want to because I wanted to stay local, but that was what I needed to do to, you know, feed my family and, and continue that growth that I have that passion for. So, I kind of confided in, in, in James a little bit and started talking to him and he kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit and said, well, I'm I'm planning on starting my own. And we had that talk. Well, you know, I'm, you just can't afford me because you're starting your own. and That's awesome. I think you're going to do great and I'd love to work with you, but it's just, you know, right now it's not going to work. So a couple months go by and we get, I didn't make the move yet. I'm about to make this big jump and we get to talking and he's four months in and he's landed a million bucks in work. And you know, he can't handle it on his own. He's just doing everything. Jack of all trades. And we cut a deal. I join in and, and, you know, he is getting the work and I am getting it done, I guess is the easiest way to say it. So, you know, I just, we just take off from, I think when I started, they had, you know, maybe 10 guys or so and, you know, barely any tools or anything like that. And we just, we just took off. We both, uh, kind of don't even need to talk. We both know what each other's going to think half the time. I feel like, and, uh, know how each other works and know our tendencies and we just we just get after it we have that same like i said that same mentality that sky's the limit and it's not good enough and let's be better and let's let's just change this industry as a whole we were so sick of the companies that we had worked for and how this specifically demolition has this absolute horrible you know culture and just you know, the, the the way others look upon the industry. It just, we just thought, you know, we're, this doesn't need to be like this.
0: How is it screwed up?
1: It's just looked upon. It's dirty, right? Yeah. Demolition, well, demolition, excavating, mining, all that kind of stuff, construction as a whole. But, you know, when you say construction, right, I mean, that, that could be anything you can look at project managers for construction companies and people don't look at them, you know, and owners and executives and all that. People don't look at them. As dirty, they're doing a dirty job. They're making a good living and doing that, right? But the actual people in the field and the excavating, the mining, the demo guys, the demolition guys are looked upon like, well, they're not smart, they're inferior, they're never going to be anything, and they're just the, the bottom of the barrel, right? And the company cultures that are out there are just horrible. They're they're what I consider like old school cowboys. You know, they're just set in their old school ways. They don't know how to change. They don't know how to treat their people. I mean, they treat them like just pieces of meat. And we both just had that same thought process. that It doesn't need to be that way. You know, I mean, and not even from a, from a pay standpoint, right. It's not even that it's just, again, go back to the same thing. You have to love what you do or don't do it. Yeah. And that's what we have done. And and trying to change the perception of the industry that it doesn't have to be so damn dirty. Is it dirty? Yeah, but it doesn't have to have that perception of being dirty. It's a great living. You can make a great living doing this. Why do people look at it so poorly? And that's what we're trying to change.
0: I think a lot of people do. They go very quickly to cite like the money you can make and the money's really good. I mean, all your guys is, they're making a ton of money on the field. Even people just starting out, but I think there's just so much more than that to demolition that provides such a nice, fantastic career. Like like you said, it's just it's different every day. You're working with the team. There's there's so many tangible benefits to it that you won't find in any other career. You know, in downtown Chicago, working for any of those fancy firms.
1: I mean, yeah, you you hit it on the head. You don't need a degree. You're paid well. I mean, I I tell guys on the on the interior, I've always told them this. You know, the guys doing the the typical, not the big industrial stuff, but those typical like weird office renovations and things like that. The the person that's sitting in the office typing away, you know, on the floor above you is getting paid way less than what you are to knock down their offices, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's like, but yet they're looking at you like you're horrible. You're just this dirty person. Yeah. You know, when you hop in your Tahoe to go home. You know, and it, it just amazes me. I mean, you paid well, the work environment changes every day. You don't need a degree. You build a solid future for your family and you're taking shit down for a living. I mean, it's just cool. It's fun.
0: And I guess there's more to demolition than just slamming wrecking balls into buildings, right?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the other perception, right? Yep. Number one question ever asked Oh, you're in demolition. Yeah. Do you blow up buildings? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like that. It's the number one thing, right? I can <laughs> tell you how many times you get asked that question. Yes, yes, that happens, and yes, that's a part of demolition. And and to answer it, yes, there's specific contractors that do that. The the demolition companies get the buildings prepared to blow them up, and yes, it's cool, it's awesome, and yes, sometimes you slam a wrecking ball into a building with a crane. But no, now it's it's so different. I mean, there's you know high reach ex- excavators that you know can reach. You know, 130 feet plus, and, and and take down you know multiple story buildings, and you know that we have robots and remote control machinery and and battery powered equipment, and there's just so many different toys now. I'll call them that. That we firmly believe in the technology to to step ahead of the rest and just you know increase increase production. But but prior to that is just the safety of our of the people, right? I mean. Yeah, these machines cost so much money, but, but if they save one potential injury, it's done. It's like, you don't even need to talk about it anymore, right? So is, is so, that... Yeah, we, we just look.
0: And that's a big, big difference from you guys compared to a lot of folks even now. You know, I know safety's improved, but you guys genuinely, apart from the obvious, is it is it good for business to put safety before anything else, before production, before making immediate you know gains in the field?
1: Absolutely. I mean, from every... Standpoint imaginable. I mean, it shocks me to see others that I don't want to say deliberately, but but knowingly are putting workers in, in harm's way. Yeah. If you can avoid that, what is the reasoning not to to gain a couple bucks? Number one, you don't ever want to see anybody get hurt. Number two, the the lawsuits that come with that, right? So it's what is the reasoning for that? I just it boggles my mind, you know, and I I hear. So many people, you know, talking all the time about, you know, well, zero injuries is is not a good goal because it's, you know, not obtainable. Why not? Why not have that as your goal? Why not always have that as your goal? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why why not? Why not have that as your goal? And, yeah, we genuinely care about our people. I mean, and that is you're absolutely correct that that's not necessarily industry norm.
0: No. Well, I um, think.
1: Unfortunately.
0: I think right now as far as safety goes, and I guess what I've seen is industry norm is to say, yeah, we work really safe and we believe in safety, but it's not always from that genuine caring sense. It's more so from the, yeah, we need to keep our insurance premiums down and make sure our, our injury rates are down so we can get more work. Not really because we genuinely care about our people, which I think you guys, that's why I think you guys are so safe and have such a good track record and and invest because you genuinely care. And I think that's a proper safety program, not just, yeah, we're investing in safety so we can go get more work and make a ton more money. That's the only point to it.
1: Right. You're typically not going to have that, you know, that owner or that general superintendent, manager, whatever you want to consider them, that's just looking at those things, right? Just looking at the productivity, just looking at the bottom dollar, doesn't necessarily care about that person and that person's family. Yeah. I'm not saying everybody, and I'm not saying that's that's Happens all the time, but there are some that are out there that are like that, right? And yes, we believe a totally different fashion that we believe it from the top down. You know, it comes from James Melbourne. It comes from me. It comes from all of us that we instill that into everybody in the company, that this comes before anything. And, that, and it goes back to that pre-planning. You know, you don't just show up on a job site and take down a building. Yeah. You know, just throw the excavator ahead and go, yeah, I think this attachment will work. And I'm not really sure what the building's made of, but just go ahead and take it down doesn't work that way you plan it out right and and you and we genuinely want our our employees to go home safe we care about them we care about we know we have christmas parties where it's 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 our employees and their their significant others and we care about them and we we talk with them and we care about everybody going home safe we, you know we know their wives and and things like that right i mean we genuinely care about them it saddens me to see others that just don't that just you know go about their business and just look at the bottom dollar. It's just horrible. I mean,
2: yeah, we love
1: it. We love everything we do. I I love everything about this. I love everything about our culture and you know, it it becomes contagious.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think we've visited your sites. I think it's pretty obvious even compared to most other sites we visit. Now, can you explain what, you you know, you just moved to Technically, a new role at Milburn. So now you have ownership of the company, and what is your role today? And what do you do on a day-to-day basis now? You know, you start as you've been just about every position you can be at a demolition company. Now you're now you're in you know the executive office, so to speak. So what is your what does your day-to-day look like now?
1: Uh, Running with my head cut off. No, I mean I. You know, yes, I'm have a small part. You know now. Of ownership but my role really hasn't changed at all <laughs> from day one being being with Melbourne it's, it's it's always been the same I mean I handle everything associated with the field and our warehouse and our equipment and you know I don't necessarily handle the the estimating at all besides just helping them when it's a more complex project looking it over as they're putting some numbers to it other than that I handle you know all of the field all of our form and all of our labors all you know all the warehouse and, and obviously not I oversee it all, right? But it hasn't changed at all. You know, being part owner, it, it, it doesn't even like it's awesome, and, and I appreciate you know the opportunity that was provided to me for that very much. So, but uh, it really hasn't changed. I handle our safety, I, you know, I handle the field, I handle the foreman, I handle the warehouse, I handle all that, and it just just constantly training others to move up. Yeah, so that we can have others take new roles.
0: When it comes to training, I mean, what do you try to instill in these, in these younger foremen and, and younger people in the field? What kind of lessons are you trying to teach?
1: Honesty, their character, drive, work ethic. We hire a lot, that, that a lot of people that don't have the experience. We also hire with experience, right? But we hire a lot of inexperienced younger workers that we think may have that drive in them, and we just try and get it out of them. And the way we do that is we'll pair them up with, with more experienced uh, people. And then also just me personally, but us as a company as a whole, we're we're an open book. We're an absolute open book. There are no secrets. We tell everybody, everything that's going on with the company. We, you know, I, I train my, my foreman and and superintendent to be totally honest with all of the workers, right? To, if they're not picking it up, if they're not getting it, tell them why and tell them that you're seeing that, Right. Nothing pisses me off more that you know guys will just tell a dispatcher. I don't really like this guy. Can you tell him not to come back? Well, what the hell? Like you do it. You know if you're whether you're in a whether you're a young eighteen year old just getting in the industry or you're you're in your fifties or sixties even, you want to know. I mean that's the way I wanted to be treated, and that's the way I want all of our people treating our our other people. Right? Is just totally blatantly honest and tell them what they're doing wrong. Tell them what they're doing well so they can, they can improve,
0: you know? What do people commonly do, do wrong when they start out, in your opinion?
1: The work ethic, really, and causing mistakes, you know, work ethic is the biggest thing, getting the drive instilled in them, but the mistakes they make are, you know, just, you know, safety mistakes too, I guess I could say too, just being too close to equipment, you know, you you train them, but then they get a little complacent and they might get too close to equipment. They might, I mean, they, take things out that aren't supposed to be taken out, (laughs) you know, from the interior stuff to the, to the total building side of it that, you know, they just, they're not paying attention to what they're doing and, and, and and they can make major mistakes of of taking out the wrong sections of building and, and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, not abiding by our, by our safety standards is is the biggest thing. Not to say that that happens all the time, but that's definitely something that
0: is, is a potential. Yeah. As far as the work ethic goes, if someone, if they just don't have the work ethic and they're just not willing to do what needs to be done, this industry, I mean, I think you'd believe this, this industry really isn't for everyone, is it? I mean, if they don't have the work ethic, they're not going to make it, right?
1: That is correct. That is correct. Some of it has to be in them already and some of it can be created from, from what I have seen. Okay. Right. But there has to be that little, that little bit inside of them that wants it. Because if they don't, for you to try to turn that switch on is is next to impossible. Gotcha. That's what I try to do when we're interviewing and all that is try to probe and poke around, right? To try and see, is that in them? Is that in them? To try and read them, to try and see if it's possible. I mean, it's funny. We have we have not a lot, but a decent amount, you know, of uh, children, when I say children. But like foreman's children that are now in their, you know, 20s that, that have come aboard, yeah. right? and it's always funny that, the, you know, the dad will come in with the person, the son, and say, all right, you know, we want to come in here and we're going to have an interview and we'll sit down with you. And I said, all right, right, we'll go sit in the waiting room. Well, what do you mean? I'm talking to your fucking son. I'm not talking to you, <laughs> right? I need to talk to him. I need to understand what's going on with him. And I don't want daddy.
0: What kind of questions do you ask them in that kind of situation? How do you probe and, and figure out whether they have it or not?
1: I mean, obviously, what is their experience, right? And, you know, are they afraid of heights and that kind of thing? But the number one thing I ask is, what's your goal? Mm. What's your outlook? What's your outlook on life? What do you want? If you had, like, if you had everything, what do you want? And many times they just sit there with a blank look on their face. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. And I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. I don't know is is a totally fine answer as long as you're willing to put the work in and see if this is what's good for you and what you like. And I tell them all the time, like, if you don't like it, get out. Yeah, don't stay in it. It isn't for everybody, right? I mean, don't kid yourself. Go move on to the next thing if this isn't what it is. But yeah, I mean, I just try. I just try to look at what they're thinking in their mind, what their goal is in life, and I try and just kind of sort of mentor them and, and coach them along, and just try to get it out of them, right, and help them achieve that goal if that's if, if that's what they're looking for. But when you just were looking out for what they want for the future.
0: When you were in that position in your 20s and someone would have asked you that, I mean, would you have said that you want, you know, what, where you're at now and what was your vision like when, when you were early on or were you just trying to get to the next day? What, what did your early, early on desire look like?
2: Yeah, early
1: on desire. I never had that, like, uh, I shouldn't say never, but initially I didn't have that, hey, I want to be a part owner or whatever of a company, right? It, yeah. it wasn't necessarily like that. It was just, I want more. I want more for myself. I want more for whoever's around me. I want more for my family. And how do I get there? I, I guess there wasn't really that, you know, end goal. It was just nothing's ever good enough for me. Still not. Like, what's next? You know, what can we do next, like, as a company for us? But, yeah, when I was that age, I, I didn't think, hey, I'm gonna. this is going to be the end goal. And I'm going to, you know, be running this large demolition company. It was just like, what, what can I do? What's the next step? And I would kind of take it in baby steps rather than taking massive leaps. And, you know, it took a while, but I mean, I think it benefited me in in the end game because you just took, you just looked at like the next task at hand. Okay, well, I'm a foreman now. Well, what's the next step? Well, general superintendent. Okay, how do I get there? And what do I need to do to get there? And kind of just jot it down and just start knocking stuff off a list. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And asking questions and just go, you know, saying, okay, I want more. Yeah. But, uh,
0: so it was just a, it was just a hunger for more and, but there wasn't really a grand plan. It was just, all right, what's the next step? What's the next step? And now you're, you know, you've gone from starting out at nothing to owning part of a demolition company. It's pretty damn cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. You know, honestly, I couldn't, I'm at the happiest point in my life, quite honestly. It's just, it's awesome. I mean, no, I didn't have that. Some people have that goal from the get go. Right. I, I didn't have that end game goal. I just knew I want more.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I feel like more,
1: right?
0: the people that, that have that goal from the beginning, I think that's the rarity. I think young people get frustrated because they see that as the norm, when in reality, that's the very small percentage. And the, the the majority is the I don't really know what I want. But as long as you just want more and keep going in the right direction, you'll eventually get to where you want to be, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, it, at least you're, uh, yeah. you're an example of that
1: it's just drive. It really is. It, it really is. It's not, you know, taking never accepting no for an answer. Just, you know, you just have to push and you have to have it internally. You can't, you can't wait for somebody else to do it for you. You have to do it internally and you have to do it 24 hours, seven days a week. You don't just go home, right? The yeah. shift is over. I'm going home. Yeah. Oh, come on. I mean, yeah, you need family. Don't get me wrong. We can talk about that too, but I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is just you have to have that drive inside and you have to want more.
0: Going on that that desire for more, has that created problems in your life because it I mean it, it has for me I don't give myself very much credit often or or sit back and look at what I've done I'm just always focused on what's next, what's next, what's next. Have you had to you know readjust at times and try to work on just being happy with with the moment in front of you?
1: yeah, big time that's a good uh, comment. My wife yells at me all the time, man, you're never satisfied uh-huh nope. And I teach my, I teach my sons that too, don't ever be satisfied. But yeah, you're, you, you are right, Aaron. I mean, there's, there's times when, you know, it's time to just sit back and relax a little bit and just take a breath, understand where you're at and what you've accomplished. And then once you exhale, then keep going. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Going into the family, into the family world, you've spent, you know, a demolition world in particular too. You're working nights, weekends, you're working really odd hours. So it's not, you know, nine to five gig. So you're not, you know, you you might be missing things or how have you been able to cope with that? And especially having a young family too, how did you be a dad while also working your ass off, trying to become, you know, where you've got now, did you have to forcibly make time for that? Or what was it like early on? And what's it like now?
1: Early on, very tough. Again, I'll say it again. I have just an amazing wife that let me, uh, for lack of a better term, run wild a little bit you know, I mean, like, like I said, you know, it was 17. So I went through my, well, we went through our 20s together and and with kids, you know, just so that uh, not sowing the wild oats, that's the wrong thing to say, but like uh, just having fun, the going out, the partying thing. I was able to do that at the beginning and my wife let me get that out. And honestly, it it helped. It helped, you know, get those things out of me. But st- I was still always working my ass off. Right. I would always, I always made it to work. I always pushed hard and all that, but yeah, balancing it was, was tough because at the beginning I didn't, I, I really, uh, you know, I, I missed a lot of stuff. I was always working. I missed those. My, you know, my two older sons were heavy into soccer, big time traveling all over the country. Even my oldest was in Brazil for a while. And it, it was just, and then my, my younger one, well, 16, but he, you know, he was a bit into soccer and into football. And then the first one, a little bit of the second one, I, I missed a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard for me to balance the work-life because of that push, the work-family-life type thing. So I missed a lot, but I had a great, you know, it, it had a great family dynamic to where we were able to get through that because it was for the betterment of our family at that time, right? But now now I'm able to balance a little better. I still, I mean, you know, I work 24-7, but, it, but luckily it's not, you know, since I was in my mid-20s, I'll call it, it's not on the job, right? Yeah. It's on the phone, it's on the computer, you know, whatever it is. And, and yeah, you're still going to the job site as well, but you don't necessarily need to physically be there all the time. So I'm able to pull back a little bit, you know, from that point on until now and, and, and be able to have a bit more of a family life. I still, you know, we still work way too much. I mean, you know, but it's gotten a lot easier over, over the over the years to, to balance that and, and find that balance to where where it's proper. And, you know, I try and instill that into my, my sons as well, that, you know, you have to have that balance yet, yet you have to push at work. You can't, you know, but that is a big part of, of having a significant other that will let you do that. You know, I mean, that's, that's something that you can't create typically. Yeah. So I give a lot of credit to her for that, that letting me do that. But yeah, it's it's a tough balance. I mean, you have to, you have to find the right amount of time and, and when it's time to disconnect a little bit
0: do you have advice for people for parents, young parents now you know with young kids trying to work their ass off too? do you have advice now knowing what you know now?
1: yeah but but it's changed so much it's been so long, right? I mean luckily, here's how I did it. I don't know if it's the right way or not, but here's how we did it, I should say. My wife was able to not work until our youngest son. I think he was in kindergarten. Okay. So I have a, uh, you know, and, and, and she took over. She was kind of the both parents when I was working hard, right? And working a lot. Mm-hmm. That worked for us. That doesn't mean that that's the right way to go, that just we wanted to instill certain ethics into our children. And, and that's the way we did it. Um, again, I won't say that's the right way to go, but, you know, two parents working is pretty much everybody now, right? And because they have to, because, you know, this country is so awesome with uh, you know, taxes and how much everything costs, but uh, yeah, cost of living is insane.
0: Well, you're in Chicago, so, too. so it's
1: almost a necessity. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost a necessity, right? But it can still be managed. You you just have to be, you know, even you have to be a team. I guess it, mm-hmm. is, is, is the way I look at it. You have to be all in as a team, or it's just it's just not going to work. It's going to be a constant battle.
0: Did you have to answer? Because so early on, you know, your wife's making a sacrifice, you know, with with essentially giving up, you know, her career for for the sake of, you know, your career and and where you want to go. Did you have to constantly, you know, sell the vision that you had of, you know, hey, I'm doing this for the better of my family and, you know, here's here's where we're headed? Did you have to do any of that or was it just, you know, mutually understood from the beginning?
1: It was somewhat mutually understood, but yeah, there was times where, uh, you know, I was definitely told to pull back, pull back the reins and you know relax a little bit, and we don't we don't need more, but I would end up convincing her that that it's better for all of us if you can keep pushing through this and so yeah it, it was definitely uh there was a few times where where it was pretty concerning about how hard I was working and how much I was working and things like that but but we ended up working it out as a team, and now she's got a successful uh she owns her own small business and it's successful and nice. you know kids are older and they're doing great and all that stuff, but it's you know it's just the way we did it again I'll, I'll say I don't know if that's right or wrong I just know that I think we have a I think we have a pretty big problem in the world basically the United States but in the world as well with children I mean with with raising kids I see just wrong stuff going on right to, to where they just you know sometimes let them run wild and they don't instill the values that should be instilled in them that doesn't mean that your wife doesn't have to work yeah. in order to do that right it just means that you guys need to put you know you need to put the effort in as a team to instill Uh, that into your children.
0: How did you instill that in your children? How did you instill that work ethic and that drive that, that you've had into, into each one of your kids?
1: Biggest thing is showing. Mm. Be a doer. Yeah. Be a doer. Show them, show them that it's okay to work hard. Show them that it's okay to work some extra hours. Show them that, you know, sky's the limit and this isn't good enough for me. I mean, I think that's the biggest way is just, doesn't always have to be talking about it. Right. It's it, a lot of times it's just be a doer, show them what, show them what you can do. And then hopefully they follow your way. Right. Whether it's in this industry or in another one, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just more of the whole work ethic as a whole. Just, I think being a doer is what, what gets it.
0: Gotcha. What kind of advice have you given, Evan, you given your kids as they've, you know, they're, they're older now, you know, as they started their careers and all that, wherever they started, probably not, are any of them involved in demolition?
1: No, the older one, he went to college. He graduated. He's out in Denver, actually, with a startup company, but into the hotel industry. The middle guy is in his 20s. He he did like a year and a half of college, just trying to find his way, which I honestly sometimes I think is okay. You know, sometimes you need that to figure out what you want. You know, don't just go through four years, though, and trying to figure it out and then go right back to where you would have when you get out of high school. That's stupid. That's the definition of stupidity, I think. But, uh, you know... The middle guy or the little guy, he's still in, he's in high school. But uh, my my middle one actually just just started with us, uh, just very temporary for now. We'll kind of see how it goes. Just doing some stuff in the warehouse, trying to trying to find his way and see if he likes it, kind of thing. Um, I have a nephew here who started at I think he was 21. Now he's he's been here two years. I think he's like 23, and he's uh, he's raised his way up to be a foreman right now for us from starting out from nothing. And uh, you know it can happen. I mean it's just. Again, it's just that work ethic and that drive that, that has to be instilled. But, all, you know, all I did with, with my kids particularly, right, was was show by doing. Yeah. And I would just talk to them about just work their ass off, don't give any excuses, and, and just push yourself and never get complacent. Yeah. And then ultimately balancing the work and, and family life, right? But it's just all about wanting more, not getting complacent, not, not accepting that this is what I'm going to do. You know, and, and some people that is who they are, right? Not everybody is cut out for that pushing and wants more and wants more. And that's okay. If that's what you are, just know that that's what you're going to be. Yeah. Right. If, if you don't have that drive and that push for more, you're going to be what you are and that's okay. But you know, for me, I tried to push it in them. I tried to try to put, show them, you know, like just, just want more, just push yourself to want more and don't get complacent.
0: It sounds like it's worked out all right so far.
1: Doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's doing pretty well. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I could I couldn't be happier right now personally and and all all three boys that I have and, and wife I think are in that same position too. They're 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 really happy and everything's good and it's awesome when you're uh you're living life that way, right? Oh, yeah. You're kinda in of the same boat right now, running with your head cut off but but happy.
0: Yeah. I know <laughs> right? I know how that is. Yeah, but you know, I'm happy yeah. I'm happy because it's stupid stressful and like I got bad news yesterday. I just got shut down for the fourth time we've applied for a line of credit this morning, I I got denied again and and it just pisses you off. But, but at the same time I can look in the mirror these days and be like, you know, I'm just, I'm giving it all. So I can't, there's really not more I can give right now. So I think just that sense of it's all out there gives me a lot of pride and happiness with what I'm doing, despite all the bullshit I have to put up with some of these days. And I I think everyone else is no different, but yeah, it's uh Despite all that, I, I couldn't be happier either.
1: But and, and that's you wear everything on your sleeve as well, right? Yeah. I do the same. Yep. Man, here it is. Here's what's going on. Here's what I think. Here's the way I'm approaching things. And I'm happy with that.
0: Yeah. I, I think everything is just easier when you're honest with people. It confuses me why more people honest, especially like in business. I think business is the best example of people. Like people want to keep everything a secret and not tell the the, the people, their employees or who they work with, different things. And we've just adopted total transparency and honesty with every company we work with. And it gets us so much further than trying to trick people or or trying to act like we know what we don't. It, it's If I've learned one thing, it's just be honest with people, be extremely straightforward with people. It, it gets you really damn far.
1: It, it does. I mean, I I see the change in our employees here just from incorporating that. Yeah, you know because they are we' we're, we're a huge melting pot right they we have people that have come from nothing and we've just i say we've created but they've created themselves and we've helped nurture them into something and then we we have others from all different demo companies right and they've all come aboard and you have to break the bad habits is, is what we have to do is break break the culture that they've been a part of even myself you know' I was in a, was in a pretty bad culture growing up in, in the industry and so you break that and you just instill in them that it's just absolute honesty and transparency and things just kind of fall into place when you do that, Yeah, you know, and I do that with, with clients and, and general contractors and, you know, I'll have them say, "Oh, are you guys really going to demo that building that way? And it's like, what the hell? Didn't I just tell you that? Why do you think I'm lying? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well I'm going to talk to your guy out there. Feel free. Yeah. He's going to tell you the same damn thing. Like we're not lying. This is the way we do business and we don't know any other way you know, that's, that's just things fall into place when you tell the truth and you, and you do things the right way.
2: I agree.
0: Well, we're at an hour here, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I really, really, really appreciate you giving me so much time today. Cause I know you have more than you know what to do with on your plate. So I really appreciate you talking to us and being honest. And I think this went great. I'm excited to talk to James one of these days and Hopefully, one of these days we'll have to get we'll have to get the both of you on so you can talk talk more about just the dynamic, you know, working together and how you guys are building the company you're building.
2: Yeah, you
1: would be all in for that, and I really appreciate you having me on, Aaron. Uh, you and Build with you guys are just going nuts. I love what you're doing. We love that you guys are uh, partners with us too, and we love the whole sky's the limit mentality. And let's just let's just go. Let's get after it.
0: Yeah, uh, that's what I want to do. There's I have big plans. That's for sure. I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. All right, Don. Awesome. Well, uh, we will. uh, We'll talk soon. Sounds good, Aaron. Thanks again.